Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Before we get into it, now is the perfect time for you to subscribe to this podcast. You got it? Amazing. Now on to the show. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Haley Seufer, the CEO of the Jewish Democratic Council of America, the former National Security Advisor for then-Senator Kamala Harris, and the Senior Policy Advisor for the former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power. And that's just scratching the surface of all that this woman has accomplished. So yeah, she's, she's pretty cool. Haley is a powerhouse of a female leader in a world that is hungry for more powerhouse female leaders. In this conversation today, I want to talk to her about what it's like to be a female CEO in the Jewish nonprofit space, where more women are reaching these positions of power than ever before. I want to know what she finds so important about the Jewish electorate and why she's decided to dedicate her life to working with it. I so admire Haley Seufer and all of the work that she does, especially as somebody who hopes to enter politics someday myself. And I'm really looking forward to learning from her today. I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Haley Seufer is the CEO of the Jewish Democratic Council of America, also known as Jewish Dems. She is the former National Security Advisor for then-Senator Kamala Harris, as well as Senator Coons and a few other members of Congress. She also served in the Obama administration as Senior Policy Advisor for the former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Samantha Power, after serving as the Jewish Vote Director in Florida for the Obama campaign in 2008. Haley, it's so wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Thank you, Julia. Amazing. So I want to start from the beginning. Where are you from? I am from East Lansing, Michigan, which is a college town in the Midwest Mm -hmm. uh, with a relatively small Jewish population. Yeah. So what was it like growing up in that minority there? Growing up in East Lansing was definitely formative for me in that I was a part of a relatively small Jewish community. Uh, Yet, uh, it didn't really feel that way because it was all I knew for 18 years. Um, I went to school at the University of Michigan, which obviously is a very large Jewish student population. But perhaps most importantly, that was the time at which I realized being around uh, Jews who had grown up with large Jewish communities, just how different my upbringing was. Um, Growing up, I was one of um, 10 Jews in my class, uh, my graduating wow. high school class of, uh, I think 300. Um, so it was, I definitely felt that I was part of a small minority at the same time, the connection to the Jewish community, uh, was something that we, and this is now I'm speaking for my family, me and my sister, uh, really had to seek out and our parents definitely, guided us to do that. Mm -hmm. So we always had a connection, but it wasn't something that was just about assimilating to the community around us. It was something we had to kind of seek uh, further, um, including traveling to Israel and uh, doing other things we can get into. Yeah, for sure. One thing I find so interesting about your connection to Judaism through your work is that it's taking a really 
different angle than I think just a religious one. So even before you worked with Jewish Gems, you were the Jewish vote director in Florida for the Obama campaign in 2008. This connection to Judaism as more than just this religious connection, but something different and something interesting. What has that been for you? What, what, what inspired you to seek out this intersection of political and Jewish identity? Well, again, a lot of it is how I was raised. Um, you know, for us, uh, being a part of the Jewish community was, was very important, even if it was a small community. My parents were both leaders in the community. My dad was president of the synagogue. My mom was president of the sisterhood. And it was very much about leadership and values. Um, and even if it was a small community, uh, it was a very close community. My parents instilled in us the importance of not just uh, that community, but also helping others outside our community. Um, and that's probably where this confluence uh, started between uh, politics and uh, and religion for me. Um, being Jewish was very much about helping others. Um, when I was nine, uh, my father and mother took me to uh, to the march in Washington, the march for Soviet Jews. Mm. Um, and I have since taken my oldest son to marches uh, here in Washington, uh, yeah. March for Our Lives. And, you know, it, it is very much about standing up for what we believe. Um, and my parents did send both my sister and I to Israel when we were in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it was all about forging those connections uh, and also instilling leadership and values. Yeah, absolutely. And you spend a lot of time focusing on this very particular community, the Jewish American diaspora community and, and how we vote. What makes us a unique voting population and something that you decided to dedicate your career to? Yeah, I think it's a great question because there are actually a lot of um, there's a lot of disinformation about the Jewish vote. Uh, for example, there there is a belief that Jews are somewhat homogenous and are voting on Israel, and we know that's not true. Uh, we're we're obviously somewhat of a diverse community, uh, but the overwhelming majority of Jews are Democrats. We're also largely voting on a wide range of domestic policy issues. Um, there was a recent poll uh, taken by an organization called the Jewish Electorate Institute that actually found that climate change was the number one issue driving the Jewish vote, followed by uh, election-related issues such as voter suppression. Um, and then you can keep going down the list, the economy, healthcare, gun safety. These are all domestic policy issues driving the Jewish vote. Israel, while very important to the Jewish community, is not the top issue driving the Jewish vote. Uh, it's what we call a threshold issue. And again, while it's very important and candidates need to meet at least that threshold of support of Israel or alignment with our views on Israel, um, the overwhelming majority of them do on both sides of the aisle. And so Jews are really voting on those issues where there's the biggest distinction between the candidates or the parties. And it's on those issues, um, domestic policy issues, uh, that, you know, I believe in JDCA believes we need to elect uh, Democrats who align with our values. Um, and that is the work that we've been doing for uh, the past few years. So a lot about what you speak about is this commitment in the Jewish community toward 
progress in whatever capacity you see that. Why do you think so many Jews, particularly Jewish women now, are, are drawn to politics as a place to be active, whether that be running for office or just even in your local synagogue, talking with other people about politics, just the, I think, level to which politics is a part of our community discussion is increasing tremendously over the past few decades. Why do you think that has taken such a prevalent role in our community? Perhaps there was a time when, and I, and I still hear people sort of kind of repeat this, especially younger people, when, when there was a more widespread belief that somehow politics doesn't impact our life, or somehow we, we could have the luxury of kind of opting out of politics. I I never viewed it that way because I've always been a yeah. I've always been a political person, but um, you know I I actually served in government for eighteen years, including in a Republican administration. I was a civil servant in the Bush administration, and I I have definitely seen uh, those who believe politics uh, should not be driving uh, the policy, and and to a degree I agree with that, but I think we saw very clearly in the past few years um, that politics and policy and frankly our values are inextricably linked. Who we elect matters and it impacts our lives. And I do think that uh, especially as we've seen uh, women become increasingly involved in politics and in large numbers running for office, uh, it's this recognition that those in government and those who are elected to government are making decisions uh, that are going to impact our choices, impact our lives, potentially impact our bodies. Um, and if it's not directly those elected, it's those elected who will be appointing, including Supreme Court justices and, and other uh judges to the federal bench who are going to make decisions uh, that will impact our lives. So we actually don't have the luxury of saying, like, we could just opt out of politics. Uh, politics affects our lives. And in that sense, it's critically important. And as someone who cares deeply about the policy, um, I, I know that we have to get the elections right in order to elect those who will implement the policies that uh, I align with and that, in my view, uh, the overwhelming major majority of Jews align with. Yeah. And can you tell us about some of these policies? How are they impacting our lives directly, especially now? Well, today's today's actually a good day to discuss this because we're seeing uh, for the first time a hearing in, in the House uh, on the January 6th insurrection. Um, and, you know, this is this was really a, a critical moment uh, in, in American history, a dark moment, when we saw the extremism and tolerance of, and even incitement of uh, white supremacy really uh, kind of culminate in an unprecedented attack, not just on the Capitol building, but on our democracy with the stated intent of stopping the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, this is the biggest threat to our democracy that we have faced in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, it didn't just end on January 6th. Currently, as we speak, there are efforts in 48 states to uh, restrict or suppress voting, basically to make voting harder. So one policy that we know is very important to Jews is uh, is 
ensuring free and fair elections and combating voter suppression. You know, in some ways you could look at it just in terms of our elections. In other ways, you can look at it in terms of the strength of our democracy. And again, going back to this recent poll, it was the first time that the Jewish community specifically was polled on this issue. And we saw that over 80% of Jews are concerned about this, including 50% Mm. of Jewish Republicans. Um, So maybe there is some bipartisanship to be found, uh, at least among the Jewish community on this issue. Yeah. But there are many policy issues. And and on all of them, I see them as connected to Jewish values. And how do you think that a particular increase in anti-Semitism that's occurred, I think, throughout 2021 has affected this idea of, of Jewish unity coming together? I mean, on, on January 6th, seeing swastikas in, in, in the capital and then continuing through the recent clash between Israel and Gaza, the continued... Um, anti-Semitism you're seeing kind of happening all over the place. How do you think that is impacting the Jewish community from a political point of view? Well, you know, this has been a difficult issue, I would say, uh, for the Jewish community um, in in the course of the past few years, as we've seen the startling rise of anti-Semitism, including the worst violent attacks on our uh, community in American history um, in in Pittsburgh at the Trey Life Synagogue, and uh, Poway, where we saw extremists go into our synagogues uh, with AR-15s, um, and you know, there's definitely been a divergence within our community in terms of recognizing this threat, uh, in terms of right-wing extremism, and the fact that the president himself, the former president, I should say, um, not only aligned with extremists, but echoed them at times, uh, you know, excused them, tolerated them, aligned with them, and even incited them. Um, And we saw that on January 6th. There's also been a rise of other forms of anti-Semitism, including when criticism of Israel can can cross that line into forms of anti-Semitism as well. And we see this on college campuses. Uh, We have seen it in terms of some attacks that were um, surrounding the, around the same time as the conflict between Israel and Hamas earlier this year. Um, And this is deeply troubling too. Uh, Combating anti-Semitism should not be a partisan issue. We at JDCA have have even joined with the Republican Jewish Coalition at times, uh, including at the recent No Fear rally, to call out all forms of Mm -hmm. anti-Semitism, to send a message that combating hatred should supersede politics. Uh, We we believe that to be true uh, and hope that those calls for unity can can continue. Um, I am extremely grateful to see the approach of this administration versus the last one when it comes to uh, when it comes to this issue. We know that President Biden actually ran on a platform of restoring the soul of America, and then that was motivated in part by what he saw in Charlottesville in 2017. Um, there's been uh, zero tolerance for anti-Semitism 
uh, including within their own ranks. So we learned today that there was a swastika found etched into the elevator within the state de- the State Department. And the response of the Secretary of State was extremely strong. But what it shows um, is that extremism in our country, even if we have had uh, change at the top, um, is still strong. I would like to see more unity in recognizing this threat. It's a really interesting point that you bring up, which is that anti-Semitism is this growing sentiment in America that occurs in a, a place of extremism. Do you think that this trend toward hyperpartisanism is 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 fanning the flames of that? And do you think that anti-Semitism itself is tied to other forms of hatred that are increased by extremism as well? There's no doubt that as anti-Semitism has risen and it targeted not just our community, it targeted other communities as well, the Muslim community, uh, the Black community. Um, there has been a rise of hate in our country. Now, anti-Semitism is distinct. The root causes of it are distinct. The way to combat it is distinct. So it's important not to conflate all these forms of hate, but they, they all rose at the same time. And I think this comes back to the fact that leadership matters. Who we elect matters. If we elect leaders who tolerate hate and even give voice to it and amplify it and echo it themselves, uh, of course, we're going to see a rise of hatred throughout our country. Even with a new president, it takes time to, uh, to make clear change. And it's really up to us, the American people and voters, to ensure that we elect those who share our values and will stand up to this form of extremism. I do think this is the biggest threat to our community and the biggest issue facing our democracy. So this is kind of driving the work that we're doing at JDCA. Yeah, and that really brings me to my next question. What has your experience been like to be a female CEO? Because I mean, I think growing up for me, there are so many women who are making this jump and doing things that were never possible a century ago. And for for a young person growing up now, I don't even think twice about it. Um, but when I think about it more practically, it's still a relatively new thing in in the grand scheme of things. What has that experience been like for you? I feel lucky in a way in that I... Uh, I was raised by my parents who, who never, never really set any limits for us in terms of what we could achieve, always encouraged leadership. And um, I'm not going to say that I was blind to the misogyny that exists in, in American society, but, uh, and I definitely saw it uh, later in my life, but I, I, to the extent that there were any barriers ahead of me, I always kind of sought to um, break through them. And so uh, being the CEO of JDCA for me is, is, has been extremely gratifying. Um, and you know, to the extent that it will inspire other women to take on leadership roles, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad because in the Jewish community specifically, there are not many women CEOs, uh, especially outside of the Jewish women's organizations that we have. Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
you know, I, I don't define my leadership uh, in terms of being a woman, um, but yeah. I am really proud to be one of a uh, few women. I wish there were more in the Jewish community. Uh, I'm encouraging more. Uh, so uh, for those listening, come join me uh, in the Jewish organizational world. Uh, we, we need oh, strong yeah. leaders. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm, proud, I'm proud, to be, um, proud to be the CEO. Yeah. And kind of like you're saying, there definitely has historically been a bit more of a gender dynamic in this particular Jewish nonprofit space. Um, but that's shifting now and it's really cool to see. How have you seen that shift since you first joined this space? Yeah, I have seen a shift. Um, you know, I think that we are seeing younger voices um, and, you know, ways of even exercising leadership have kind of evolved. Uh, I mean, you see uh, voices being amplified on Twitter, for example. This wasn't even possible, uh, you know, a decade ago. Um, and people kind of demonstrating their leadership uh, that way. You know, being a leader is not just about the title you have. It's also about what you say when given a platform or when kind of assuming a platform. Uh, so it has been good to uh, to see that. Um, and I think we were even connected via Twitter. Yes. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is an important way of, of exercising leadership. But in the Jewish organizational world, going back to the more formal roles, um, I was actually a part of uh, a leadership training cohort uh, with an organization called Leading Edge, which has done a lot of research in terms of Jewish leadership and women CEOs. It's led by uh, the remarkable female CEO, Golly Cooks. And they've done a lot of research on this issue. And uh, a few years ago, it was pretty clear that there were far too uh, few women CEOs. And it wasn't so much that women weren't in leadership positions in the Jewish community, it's that they didn't have those titles. Um, and titles do sometimes matter. So when I started this job, actually, my title was executive director. Um, and after uh, a few years of that, it, it uh, changed to CEO, which which is which is great. And we're seeing some other women leaders in the Jewish community also have those kind of title changes, and it matters. Yeah, speaking from my own experience with Jewish on campus, you know, we started off using. Um, the internet as a, a tool and a vehicle for change. And now we're transitioning into a nonprofit organization. Um, and the majority of our leadership, the majority of our staff are women, which was never intentional. It's just the people who gravitated toward wanting to make change in this space have been women in the past couple of years. And it's interesting to see the shift among young people that women are taking on this pronounced role in wanting to create change. Yeah, I... Um... It's, it's encouraging to see, and I also think it's very important for us to support each other, uh, whether that is amplifying each other's voices um, or, uh, you know, or uh, talking behind the scenes uh, in terms of mentorship. I, I really think it's extremely important. Um, it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that I am where I am today uh, because of the support of, uh, frankly, women and men <laughs> in my life. So uh, it is It is important to support each other. Who are some of these mentors that you've had and what are some of the ways that you hope to mentor others in the community? So as I as I referenced, I think a few times, um, my first my first mentor was really uh, my father, uh, who uh, 
you know, at a very young age, uh, really emphasized the importance of uh, politics for me and understanding what's happening in the world. And, you know, I remember having to watch the State of the Union every year and kind of uh, having a discussion after, I mean, at a really young age, uh, end up. Um, and my first job was actually as an intern at the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv 21 years ago. Um, and at that time, that was really when I made the decision that I wanted to move to D.C., which I which I did right after that internship. And I I really learned a lot from the the embassy community at the time, uh, quite a few diplomats and others. Um, about uh, how to engage in foreign policy in the U.S. government um, and what kind of opportunities there were uh, in Washington. And that's when I found my way to Capitol Hill. Um, and I had the opportunity to work for four remarkable members of Congress, uh, one in the House and three senators, um, and all of them uh, great leaders who I continue to be in touch with. Um, and, you know, I think that it's very important to have, um, to maintain close contact to those who, with whom you've worked, um, especially those with whom you, you closely align uh, to continue to give you guidance and advice, even after you've left their office, uh, you know, important to stay in touch. Uh, you never know how life will come full circle and you'll, you might end up, you uh, you know, back working with either the same people or working for the same people again. Um, so there was a, a great uh, group of people also in the Obama administration that I that I stay in close touch with. Yeah, and that really brings us to the last question um, that we ask every guest. We want this podcast to give everyone, but in particular young Jewish women, access to mentors in fields they might never have thought about before, with people they might never get to meet ever, but the, the chance to learn from them and to use their experiences to help them grow. Um, and so on that token, what is one piece of advice that you would want to give any Jewish woman listening to this or any person listening to this on navigating the world in your experience? I think for, for anyone who is interested in politics, but might be deterred by uh, folks who, you know, either believe politics is trivial or that politics doesn't matter, I would say it absolutely does. And to consider uh, joining a campaign, um, I think you can learn so much about uh, politics, but also policy um, on a campaign. And it really is kind of a crash course because campaigns are finite. Uh, so it's really a crash course in, uh, in kind of how you get elected. And of course, the most important part, which is uh, connecting with the voters. Um, so anyone who wants to consider a career in politics, I recommend campaigning. Um, I also, uh, to those women out there, uh, Contemplating a career in politics uh, and also uh, starting families, having families, um, you know, I, I think I think that uh, it's certainly possible. I know it's possible. Um, and and really, uh, I found it to be very grounding. I have uh, three kids and, um, you know, in many ways, my work uh, is very much aligned with that. You know, I, I want a better future for them. 
Um, and I do try to give them what my parents gave me, which was a sense that um, you have to take action to kind of shape uh, the world and your community and uh, and and even when it comes to electing members of Congress to represent you, um, you know, you have to speak out and take a stand. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I think that there might be a belief that uh, that it's difficult and it's certainly not easy uh, to have a family while also having a career uh, doing political work, but it is possible. Um, and for me, it's even been kind of motivating. So um, that is <laughs> that is my advice, which I'd be happy to talk about more. Uh, you know, it's it's not easy, but it's definitely possible with the right partner and uh, of course support. Haley, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such an honor to get to speak with you and I felt like I've learned so much from this conversation. Thank you. It was so interesting to learn from Haley today. She has this incredible career working with some of the most important and powerful politicians in the US and influencing some of the most important elections of our lifetime. And she's just getting started. I was really moved by the conversation we had toward the end of this interview, when Haley told me the value of female mentorship, of young people, young women in particular, using our voices to become a part of massive movements of change, of the innovation of the next generation and using social media as an avenue for change. More than ever, women are taking charge as the CEOs and presidents of organizations. In the Jewish world, we've come a long way and we have a long way left to go. But as Haley emphasized, there is so much more to this work than a title. It's about what you can do with the platform you're given. And with the internet at our fingertips, we all can have a platform with just a few clicks. So many young people are using the internet to build ideas that are going to change the world. I'd like to hope that just like Jewish Dems, my own organization, Jewish on Campus, will be a part of making that change. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other Nice Jewish Girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And do not forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with election integrity advocate Jenny Cohn. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.